my friends, and welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norse, his name, Hayden Winks. Hayden, big show today. We start off, this is the first ranking show of the offseason. It's early June. It's still that hot, hot best ball summer. Let's dive into some running backs today. What do you say? We have to. This is where the edge is. As we get closer to the draft, these rankings become sharper. We need to get into the draft lobby right now. Take advantage of some of these wild ADPs. The second Josh starts chirping about some of these ADPs, they start (laughs) going up. So if you like Mike Davis, for example, Damian Harris, for example, draft now because Josh will not shut up about these guys. And all of a sudden they're going to be RB20 and the value has gone away. So get into the draft lobby early. Use our promo codes below. Uh, and pay attention. We got we got some hot notes for you this summer. If a month ago you were drafting Mike Davis back about 10 slots later, Damian Harris about 20 slots later, you might be winning a million dollars towards the end of the 2021 season. But don't worry, you can still get in now. Enter anything, any amount of money. If you're a new user, you get a free $25. Use promo code the show on underdog fantasy. All right. Today, Hayden, we're going to talk about our favorites, our fades, everything in between at the running back position these are really our top 50 rankings at this spot we're going to go one down to the bottom we're going to spend a lot of time on those top 10 because we, we we want to have those correct have those predictions those projections correct we're going to do this by tiers because that's really how you should be drafting and we'll talk about strategy in between because when you're selecting these running backs can be just as important as who you're selecting as well let's get started let's go off on tier one, we're going to be bringing up Underblog as well. All of these rankings you can find on underblog.underdogfantasy.com, and they will also be constantly updating Hayden's rankings, my rankings, and the average between us as well in comparison to ADP. All right, first up, Chris McCaffrey at running back one. Over 105 receptions in his last two full seasons played. Carolina with 28th in red zone touchdown percentage last year, Hayden Winks. And he was still the running back one in fancy points per game. There are going to be five total points last season. Nobody has the usage Christian McCaffrey has. We know he's an electric player. He looks healthy in all of his offseason videos. I've seen him jumping over a bunch of stuff in these like workout lobbies. So, yeah, there's no reason to, to get cute with this at CMC. Dalvin Cook, we have him as our running back, too. Why? I think it's a pretty similar to Christian McCaffrey. He doesn't catch as many passes, but once again, Dalvin Cook has that like 20, 25 carries per game, all the goal line work. That offensive line for the Minnesota is also very good, and that hasn't been the case the last like five-ish seasons. They've invested a ton. So Dalvin Cook is high floor, high ceiling player. Yeah, the Vikings offense, we know they have their identity. It's the same thing with Gary Kubiak's son running the offense. I mean, he was the running back two last year in fantasy points per game and saw over 360 opportunities. By that, we mean carries plus targets. And hopefully the defense gets even better where the Vikings are kind of in more neutral game scripts versus what their defense was allowing last year. So to close out here in tier one, our top three running backs, we have Alvin Kamara way, well ahead of ADP in comparison of this area of the draft. He's going as the running back five. You and I both have him as a running back three. So last year, Alvin Kamara had 21.6 half PPR points per game. That was the RB two. And he did it on the second most fantasy uh, expected fantasy points per game as well. Basically this comes down to, do you think uh, Taysom Hill is going to be a starting quarterback for most of the season? Or do you think it's going to be Jameis Winston? Because if it's Jameis Winston, 
I love Alvin Kamara really high up. We've just seen him time and time again, even in half PPR. He just does so much of the goal line. But if you think that Taysom Hill is going to be starting a bunch of games, then I understand why why you'd fade him. But I just wanted to be trusting Sean Payton, figuring out Jameis Winston. And because of that, I have Alvin Kamara a little ahead. So many people connected the team and across the NFL landscape are projecting Jameis Winston to be the starter here. But like, if in the back of your mind you do think that Taysom Hill either gets the nod or Jameis plays so poor that Taysom is going to be the starter with Alvin Kamara last year, and Taysom Hill, 13 carries and three catches per contest. So it's not like he's getting below 10 touches. You know, he's still going to get around 16, 17, 18. But with Jameis Winston at quarterback, it's going to be much the same, I think, as a Drew Brees-led offense. I mean, I went back into 2019, and sure, that's when Jameis Winston threw, what, 30 interceptions? He attempted 626 passes. But we care so much about the receiving usage for Alvin Kamara. Well, that season in 2019 with the Bucks, Dario Gunbawale, Ronald Jones, and Peyton Barber combined for 110 targets. So we could get, you know, another 100 target season, at least 97, which he's never gone below. Alvin Kamara has an NFL year. Totally love that stat. I would say the, the other thing to keep your eye on is Latavius Murray. I'm not projecting him to be a cut, but he's one of the options. The Saints are still in a really bad cap cap situation. They're going to have to either make a trade restructure a player that they didn't want to restructure or cut a Latavius Murray or a Patrick Robinson uh, to open up some cap space to sign their rookies. So I'm not projecting Latavius to get cut, but it wouldn't be a total surprise. He's one of the veterans that actually could be cut uh, leading it up into training camp. And if we really need to simplify it, Sean Payton is a very good coach, one of the best offensive minds in the NFL. And how many real playmakers do the Saints have on their roster? I mean, it's Michael Thomas and it's Alvin Kamara. Maybe Adam Troutman takes that next step this season. So Sean Payton is going to do everything in his wheelhouse, everything he knows about football to get Alvin Kamara the ball, right? And it, it, it's that simple. And to, to me, you know, a, a drop-off from Drew Brees, even though we did see him decline towards the end of the year, um, this offense is still going to be, I think, top half in the NFL. And Definitely. that offensive line is, you know, top five, top 10 unit in the NFL. And that matters so much for running back production and success of an offense. So I'm, I'm very comfortable despite being well above, like if you can get Alvin Kamara again, as running back three, we're totally fine with it. If you miss out in the top two and you're at the one Oh three, but you can get him at running back four, running back five. I've seen him even go as running back six at times. Cause people are so fearful of Taysom. We love that. We love that spot here in round one. Yep. I, I actually like uh, stacking the saints right now. Just, assuming Jameis is the starter that unlocks like these deep sleepers, the Troutmans, maybe a Marquez Callaway. It also makes Michael Thomas a value. It makes Kamara a value at like 105, 106 as well. So uh, if you're drafting Kamara, you have to be assuming Jameis Winston is the starter. So if you're doing that, I do love pairing Kamara with an out Adam Troutman with a Marquez Callaway, some of these breakout candidates later in the draft. Mike Cross in the chat wanted to be convinced by Alvin Kamara this season. Hopefully we did that for you. Hopefully we did that for you. All right. Back to business, Hayden Winks. That is our tier one. Those players at running back separate themselves. Now let's go to tier two, headlined by Derek Henry, who is our running back four and the public's running back four as well. Yeah, and I just updated this um, after the Julio Jones trade. I switched Zeke and Derek Henry. I think that Derek Henry's floor is a little higher now that Julio Jones is in the mix. I would take him as my fourth overall player, especially in half PPR like it is on underdog. I think that there is a discussion that we'll have on Zeke Elliott to be right in this mix as well. What are your thoughts with, with Zeke? 
I mean, I, running back five, I, it, I'm so confident in it, even though he's going as running back seven. I'm just so in on this Cowboys offense this season. And it, it's important to note that because when Dak Prescott was healthy last season, those first like six, eight, six games of the season, he was the quarterback one, you know, and Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, they were all getting theirs, even when this team was losing ball games. And I think that's important to note with Ezekiel Elliott because last year, Terrence Steele played, you know, 970 snaps. Brandon Knight played 774 snaps. You convert that this year, hopefully, to Tyron Smith playing well more than 154 like he did last season. Lyle Collins played zero. So a massive issue and critical flaw of the Cowboys last season. One was our defense, obviously, but two was their offensive line play. And if they can say even a little bit more healthy. I mean, they had the worst injury luck last year. Along the offensive line, I will say, hey, do you think like some public perception and disdain even for where the Cowboys selected Ezekiel Elliott and how much money they paid him plays into our the public's perception of Ezekiel Elliott right now and just how good Tony Pollard looks when he's on the field? I think that's definitely playing into it. You have to kind of just say the Cowboys shouldn't have drafted Zeke that high. They shouldn't have paid him that much money. But that does mean that they're going to give him the rock a ton. We know this coaching staff. We know Jerry Jones loves Zeke Elliott way more than we do. And if you think that Tony Pollard's good, well, the Cowboys don't think that Tony Pollard's that good compared to Ezekiel Elliott. They gave him so much money. He's going to get the rock a ton. Just going back to your point about the on-off splits with Dak Prescott. Last year in those six games with Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott was averaging 24.4 expected fantasy points per game. That is elite, elite, elite usage even if he isn't as explosive as some of the other backs in that tier and we can argue how explosive Ezekiel Elliott is he is going to get elite RB1 usage so I don't think that you can drop drop him too far off I would be very surprised if Tony Pollard leapfrogs Zeke Elliott even if Zeke Elliott's having a bad season like they just love them some Zeke Elliott it must be the jersey sales Hmm. or something else Uh, but I'm just betting on them rolling Zeke back out there I think you kind of have to can I also walk down narrative street again? Because I feel like last year in any walk of life, it was difficult to get motivated for your job. And especially for these NFL players that have their routines of, okay, we're going to be at the facility or work out with a trainer at this certain gym and be prepared in 100% physical peak condition for when the season starts. Time it appropriately. It was such a new environment last year that threw everyone off their schedule that we've seen Zeke balloon up in photos and then also be super fit when when you know seasons start. So he might not have been in his best shape and he's still productive. And I also want to say, like, look who's going after him. Well, I would say above him in draft. Saquon Barkley is going as the running back three. Jonathan Taylor is going as the running back six. Again, we have Zeke above both of those. And I would just say. It's because we think that the Cowboys offense has a chance to be the number one offense in the NFL. Point blank. I can't say that about the Giants offense. I can't say that about the Colts offense. It's very much a direct path to the top offense in the league. And that means I would want the number one back on that team. Is that too simplified? And he's not coming off like a, a serious injury like Saquon Barkley is. That's like, I'm not completely writing off Saquon Barkley, but um, I don't know. Zeke's been a. He's always in the lineup. He is a little bit chunkier than we'd like maybe, but that makes him uh, more reasonable to stay on the field. So uh, I think his floor is is higher than people think. I just don't think that Tony Pollard's like an, a legit threat. Before we keep going down in tier two, can we comment on why we don't have Derrick Henry 
on tier one or Ezekiel Elliott in tier one for me, for Henry, it's because he just doesn't catch passes. I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see him hit 40 targets in an NFL season. I think he set a career high last year and was like 31. He's back in the big way. The big dog is. And we talked about it, you know, on the Monday morning podcast show and Sunday afternoon stream when we talked about Julio Jones to that team. But just the passing game element, I don't know if it's ever going to be there with Derrick Henry in Tennessee. Yeah, there's a little bit of an injury risk with him, just how much he's utilized. But just going back to last year, half PPR points per game. This includes the playoffs. Dalvin Cook, 22.6. Alvin Kamara, 21.6. And then you see this little bit of a drop off at Derrick Henry at 18.5. So that that three point difference was enough to kind of cancel uh Derrick Henry into that that first tier. Uh, it doesn't really actually matter because I think both you and I would be drafting Derrick Henry as the fourth overall guy. So it doesn't really matter about the tier break. You'd still be drafting him at fourth overall. Running back six, we have Saquon Barkley. Again, that is well short of ADP at running back three. Why Hayden Wiggs? To me, he seems like he's going to be somebody that might climb a spot or two as we get closer to training camp. Make sure there's not some, some uh, injury setbacks. He had a very serious injury uh, last offseason. Obviously, you want to be betting on Saquon Barkley overcoming that. He's just such an athletic freak. But then the other part is the offensive line is very, very bad. We have basically zero faith in Jason Garrett. And also, there's some kind of threat. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is going to catch a ton of passes. But it's not like he has to be the number one uh, person in the passing game. The the Giants spent so much of this offseason upgrading the skill core. So Saquon Barkley is going to be a mid range to high end RB one. I'm just not sure if he has that Christian McCaffrey type ceiling uh, just because of the injury and his surrounding uh, parts on paper, a difference between seven and 12 is not massive, but when you are drafting in round one, especially in that tier break off of like the Travis Kelsey at the running back spots, Joe Mixon, us having him as the running back seven overall and him going as the running back 12 overall is significant. I mean, Hayden, last year he was the running back nine in fantasy points per game, only six games played. I think you and I can kind of suggest that as soon as Joe Burrow missed the remainder of the season, maybe Joe Mixon mailed it in a little bit and just didn't return for that reason. But now he's back in a big way and he has the backfield to himself. And I want to repeat That was running back nine in fantasy points per game on underdog with complete and utter disasters along the offensive line and a completely new offense in year one. It was also RB3 fantasy usage per game as well. And Giovanni Bernard's averaged 53 targets per season since Joe Mixon's entered the equation. I think that Joe Mixon's going to catch probably a career high and receptions, but it's not just receptions. It's goal line opportunities. All these previous seasons, there wasn't a Joe Burrow. There wasn't an offensive line that actually has some improvements. It's not going to be a good offensive line, but it's going to be an improved one just because how bad it was last year. They've added some veterans at right tackle and uh, left guard. They are getting Jonah Williams back, hopefully to be healthy. And then the big other thing I wanted to note here is this offensive line coaching change. So they bring back Frank Pollock, who's more of an outside uh, zone rusher. He's going to get some more big plays. He was there for Joe Mixon in 2018. That's when Joe Mixon had his best rushing season of his career. He had averaged Uh, 2.0 yards before contact. The last two seasons under Jim Turner, he averaged 0.8 yards uh, before contact. There was basically nowhere to go. And just to talk about Jim Turner for a second, 
he's now the offensive line coach for Texas State. So, I mean, we're talking about a huge difference in coaching coaching levels. If you're being the assistant coach at Texas State and you were the offensive line coach for the last two seasons, that's telling me something. I'm expecting this run game to be better, and we already know the offense for the Bengals in general is just going to be so much better. Texas State's mascot. Do you have a guess, Hainwings? The Bobcats. Look at you. Look at you. Tremendous work. Tremendous work. All right. Now to running back eight, and I love it. I love Joe Mixon. We're going to talk about him, how you can maybe pick up someone else along the way uh, in your drafts if you do take Joe Mixon since he's going at running back 12. Anyways, running back eight, Jonathan Taylor. We have him there, but he's going as running back six. I love Jonathan Taylor. What he showed in those final six to eight weeks of the NFL season is exactly what we wanted. It leaves a great taste in our mouth. He was third in the NFL in 10-plus yard runs. Obviously, there's no Anthony Costanzo at left tackle anymore but the other four pieces along that offensive line are good to great to outstanding and he even I think has more of a receiving ceiling than what he was able to show for the full duration of his rookie season but why are we slightly below ADP here on Taylor it's that last part he he is capable certainly capable to be a 100-target player if the Colts wanted to. The problem is they're paying Naeem Hines. Naeem Hines is a decent third down back. They trusted Naeem Hines even down the stretch last year when Jonathan Taylor was breaking out. Naeem Hines and, and JT had the, the same amount of routes, runs, targets, all of those stats. So unless you're expecting that to, to completely change, it's going to be hard for Jonathan Taylor to creep into this top five status. We love Jonathan Taylor, the player. Yep. Uh, it also just kind of hurts that Carson Wentz historically does not throw to his running backs. He's the guy that keeps his eyes downfield all the time. That's been a huge uh, flaw for him. And if you just look at how how many targets uh, running backs under Carson Wentz gets, it's not a pretty picture. So we love Jonathan Taylor. We're respecting Jonathan Taylor by having him as our RB8, RB9. I just think that the receptions come into play a little bit. I think that the other people have just a higher reception projection than than JT. I'm probably framing these questions on some level in the wrong way, Hayden, because I'm, I'm asking it to start off with a negative when we are below ADP. But we want to reiterate that we love Jonathan Taylor as a talent. There's a chance for him to easily get into the top five at running back this season as long as the opportunity is there, as long as the situations. I just can't get out of my head that at points last year, Hayden, it felt like Naeem Hines was their best runner. Now, that wasn't when Jonathan Taylor um, you know, hit his stride towards the end of last season. The potential is there. We love the talent. We love the player. We love the prospect. Um, and again, if you do wind up with him in round one, good on you because he's still a, a, a great, great pick. All right. Running back nine, speaking of great talents, Austin Eckler. Again, we're ahead of ADP. He's going as running back 11. Uh, I remember questions heading into last offseason. Well, what is Tyrod Taylor going to do with Austin Eckler? He's going to get a lot of targets there. Well, immediately Justin Herbert, not by plan, but by action stepped in and one led this offense to a very explosive group and two used Austin Eckler exactly how he wanted him to. Absolutely. We love Austin Eckler, the player, just like Jonathan Taylor. The difference right now, uh, I think with Austin Eckler is you're getting a massive offensive line upgrade. You're also getting a massive coaching upgrade. We now know that Justin Herbert is a total baller. So it really just comes down to if Austin Eckler gets a few more goal line opportunities he would be like a top five back in fantasy. We're just not projecting that fully because they haven't been using Austin Eckler like that. But maybe the new coaching staff just sees a player that 
is so versatile that they want to keep him inside the 10 yard line when they get down there. But just ultimately being a little high on Eckler is just a bet on the chargers being better than what the perceived notion of that team is. I think a lot of that is just the coaching staff and the offensive line. He's the type of size back that often gets typecast across the league, despite him, you know, pulling off those quote unquote foundation back qualities, I think out there, does it help in his regard that the chargers still haven't found like a great second back, on their roster. I mean, they had moments with Justin Jackson in the past. Obviously, Joshua Kelly started the first half of last season nicely, then completely tailed off in a way that I think we're forgetting about. Even Kalen Balaj got some work as, you know, the other back on that roster. They drafted Larry Roundtree in round six. Does that help him at all this year? Definitely. All the, all those running backs are just not the guys that this current regime brought in outside of Roundtree. And I thought Roundtree was very replacement level. And if you're looking for another narrative, which I'm not even sure how much I buy into this, but Joe Lombardi used Alvin Kamara at the goal line and Austin Eckler and Alvin Kamara have a lot of similar features. And I think they're going to be used in a very similar role. You see the blueprints with Alvin Kamara and his ceiling the last couple of years. Austin Eckler has a chance to be that type of player. And this is just a bet on the chargers. It's bet on Austin Eckler. I just, I'm very comfortable with being a little bit overweight on Austin Eckler. We're still in tier two, but let's talk about our running back 10. That is Cam Akers, lead back for the Los Angeles Rams. They spent a second round pick on him prior to last year. It did take some time. I mean, remember you had the Malcolm Brown, you have the Daryl Henderson time. Then you had Cam Akers. Once again, people who listen to the show, who watch the show, know that I want to invest as much as possible into the Los Angeles Rams offense this year. And that might start with Cam Akers who is going as a running back 11. We have him slightly lower. I have him as the running back. He's going as a running back eight, I should say. I have him as a running back 11. You have him as a running back nine. Why do we love Cam Akers so much this year? It's Matthew Stafford. I, I feel pretty comfortable that Cam Akers is better than Darrell Henderson in the vacuum. I think that Cam Akers could be an, an awesome third down back as well. I thought he was a had a three down profile coming into the league. He, he seems like a pretty safe player. Um, the, the only concern possibly is the offensive line is a little bit older. It might be not, not the best uh, unit top to bottom. So I, that's why I think, I think when I do my updated rankings, I'm going to have Nick Chubb up over cam acres. I think that they're in a kind of similar situations, except that the offensive line is way better for the Browns. So I think in the next up uh, update, I think Nick Chubb's going to slide ahead of at least Cam Akers, possibly Austin Eckler and some other guys too. Yeah, Samuel Shirley asks, what is the difference between Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor? I feel like both mainly are two down guys, but Chubb is on the better team. You and I were discussing right before we went live about Nick Chubb and how he might vault ahead of those two names that we just mentioned. I mean, the Browns introduced their identity last season and it completely worked like a charm. Nick Chubb was fourth most in 10 plus yard runs last season. He was best in the league in after contact plays. I'm not sure if he can repeat that necessarily, even though his skills dictate that because it's so difficult to repeat that stat year over year over year. Um, But we love Nick Chubb. We absolutely love Nick Chubb, even though the presence of Kareem Hunt is and always will be there um nick chubb is just a special talent that's what he is he was number one in fantasy points over expected per game and it wasn't even really close uh he ended up being the rb4 in 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 half point ppr if you include the playoffs so uh with that i i gotta move nick chubb up the rankings all right 
Let's close out this tier, though. We have Aaron Jones as our running back 12, Najee Harris as running back 13, CEH as running back 14, and Tino Gibson as running back 15. This tier of running backs also coincides with the likes of Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, Calvin Ridley, and Darren Waller when you talk about ADP. Is that our cutoff point? For those where we want to pivot over to those top pass catching weapons rather than invest in the second tier of running backs. I would rather have Nick Chubb be my RB2. Let's say you're picking at the back half of the round. Go Joe Mixon, Nick Chubb. I would rather have that combination than one running back, one wide receiver. So I think for me, the cutoff point where I'm starting to look at Devontae Adams, who's my wide receiver one, or Steph Diggs. I think it's this Aaron Jones, Najee Harris, Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, uh, low end of this tier, basically around pick 13, 14, 15 overall, I would take Travis Kelsey a little bit ahead of these wide receivers. So maybe that's like in this like Austin Eckler, Jonathan Taylor, Joe Mixon range for us. Um, but for me, I think it, I think it's this Aaron Jones, Najee Harris tier. What do you think? Hmm. I mean, this is kind of a mini group inside of this tier, right? I could see any of these four names being at the top of this four-person grouping that we're talking about. I could see CEH having an outstanding second season because they went back and drastically improved their offensive line. They might run some more inside runs, some more power runs with him this year. And we obviously know that his receiving ability is up there among some of the best possibly in the league. And Junior Gibson just did not get the receiving usage last year because J.D. McKissick was tied at the hip with Alex Smith. Hey, look, if the Steelers plan at running back and offense fits with like how it's going to be executed, then Najee Harris could have a tremendous season. And if Aaron Jones has Aaron Rodgers back, Aaron Rodgers once again plays at MVP caliber, he's going to outperform you know, his running back 10 ADP and where we have him as running back 12. Yeah, that's why it's like so hard. Like I love Devontae Adams, Steph Diggs. It's still so hard to like overcome some of these, these running back pictures because the rest of the running backs will get to them it's it's harder. It's just because the wide receivers in, in the rounds three through seven are so good. So um, I think it's it's this lower half guys, but all these guys have so much potential. I don't think that any of these 15 top 15 running backs should yeah. slide out of round two basically ever. If you're starting at like the 111 or the 112 that Joe Mixon to Austin Eckler start uh, looks mighty appealing. If you want to go running back, running back and then just hammer wide receivers rounds three through seven, along with those one-offs at quarterback and, and tight end, uh, both of those backs. I mean, we, we both love them. And, and that's a strategy that I'm thinking about when I'm drafting at the end of round one. So, um, all right. Again, out there, we have these constantly updating on the underblog. That's underblog.underdogfantasy.com. Be sure to get in there now. Use them for your drafts. Win some money on Underdog Fantasy. And again, they'll be updating throughout the summer. Shall we jump in to tier three? Because Hayden Winks, this has historically been a very difficult point to draft, to identify running backs that hit. And ADP, it's around ADP of 27 to 55 overall. I mean, last year, this group was Chris Carson. It was Todd Gurley. It was David Johnson. It was Le'Veon Bell. How many of those really hit for an entire season, right? So why has it become as many call it, the dead zone for running back right now. So if you're watching live on YouTube, it basically basically comes down to this chart. And this is just running backs versus receivers, how many points per game they average. And you see in the first two rounds, 
that gap between running backs and receivers is basically non-existent. They average about the same amount of points. But as you get along further in the draft in this round three through round seven range, about 50th pick overall, wide receivers outscore running backs considerably by like two points per game in this range. So if you're looking for a spot, when should I be drafting my running backs versus the receivers? I think that the, the gap is narrowest in the first two rounds and the gap is widest in this round where we were sniping uh, Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, those type of guys over the running backs you listed last year. So this is something to keep in mind when you're drafting the first two rounds. And then also when you get into this tier three, tier four, tier five of running backs, you have to keep this in mind. You have to make bets on some of these running backs because you did have a David Montgomery who had a top 10 season last year from this tier, but you can't get overconfident in all these guys. I would pick a couple of them that you really like and kind of fade the rest of them because when we get to our wide receiver rankings next uh, next show, we're going to be talking about this tier a lot. Your Tyler Lo- or uh, Tyler Lockett's, Terry McLaurin's, your Julio Jones, that's where this tier is coming from. So you have to pick your battles, um, and I think we're going to probably name a couple here, and the rest of them we're kind of out on. Yeah, because in the same area that DeAndre Swift is going, the same area that J.K. Dobbins is going, the same area as Miles Sanders, you could have names like Justin Jefferson, Michael Thomas, Keenan Allen, Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson, C.D. Lamb. I mean, it's so tough to pass on those pass catchers. But I will say, Hayden, in that same group, I mentioned a bunch of misses. And Tyre Gurley, who had some weeks to start the year, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell when he was on the Jets. Jonathan Taylor was also in this group last year. So, like, hits are there. Potential league winners, top eight finishes are there. Um, And I think – one of the reasons why Jonathan Taylor was available last year wasn't talent. It was uncertainty, right? Because we were drafting when Marlon Mack was still healthy. You know, we were drafting him when we didn't know what the usage was going to be like. So I think some, some unknown element might factor into one of these players going to the top. But let's run through them. At our running back 16, it's Chris Carson. We have J.K. Dobbins at running back 17. Well above ADP. Mike Davis at running back 18, despite him going as a running back 23. Miles Sanders as running back 19. Dave Montgomery running back 20. And let's talk about DeAndre Swift here because consensus, the public, has him at running back 16. But we're well below that, Hayden, at running back 21. So the issue is obviously we are expecting the Lions to be one of the worst offenses in the league. They do have a really good offensive line, which makes this kind of a little more confusing. It's really just the rest of their skill skill group. So you could make the argument that he's going to get a lot of touches. The issue with that is these Anthony Lynn quotes. And I have a couple here. This is from The Athletics' Chris Burke. Uh, Anthony Lynn said, if you go in the game and you're balling, you're staying in there. So that's a committee approach. He also says, Jamal Williams is what I'd call a classic A-back. They can run between the tackles, block a little bit better than the B-back. They can also run on the perimeter. I can lead those guys in there for all three downs. That's not great news. They also said, uh, I don't see them as being interchangeable. I see them being as more complimentary. Swift is a more speed pace back. Jamal could be more of a between the tackles and sometimes perimeter back. And then he called him a one-two punch. So everything that Anthony Lynn has said, and remember, he's an, a running backs coach previously. This is this is his bread and butter. He really likes Jamal Williams. So I don't want to overreact to these quotes, but it is a little bit concerning. And I think for that, I think I'm okay with being slightly below consensus on him. Yeah, there's about four points here. You hit on a few of them. By their actions and their words, the Lions want to use multiple backs. Do we love running backs in likely bad offenses? I don't. I don't like to do that. I'd rather take running backs in good offense. That doesn't mean good teams, 
but just good offenses, period. Now, their offensive line can be awesome, but how far can that necessarily take you when you are chasing games and when they've just signed someone like Jamal Williams, who that was at times his specialty in Green Bay? And then finally, just like we think that with the Rams, as we talked about with um, Cam Akers, they've massively upgraded at the quarterback position. That means the Lions have massively downgraded at the quarterback position. I, I like DeAndre Swift. I mean, he averaged nine carries per game last year, four and a half targets per games. Uh, he had 10 or more carries in, in six contests last year. This is my pitch to all of you, all right? My pitch to all of you. We need to flip DeAndre Swift and Mike Davis's ADP. We've gone on and on, it seems, feels like, every single show about Mike Davis. We have flipped Mike Davis and Miles Gaskin's ADP. We've gotten that far, but let's continue to do it. Again, DeAndre Swift is going as a running back 16. Mike Davis is going around the running back 22 or running back 23. Let's get in Mike Davis in the top 20s because that's going to be a good offense, even if the team might not be great. He does not have any competition in that backfield as of this moment, and he can catch passes and can get high-value touches near the goal line. Mike Davis, the top 20 running back season is right there for the picking. Hayden Winks. I did the, the tape detective on Mike Davis, and I thought he is an at least an adequate runner. And I think this, he's the perfect scheme fit with Arthur Smith, a powerful running runner between the tackles. He does bounce it outside way too often. He does not have the speed, the home run hitting speed of a Derrick Henry to be bouncing the ball out, outside. But even when he does do that, he's still so shifty. And a lot of the, this shiftiness comes into play as a receiver out of the backfield. I think he's going to catch plenty of check downs. He's going to get all the goal line work. And I think that he deserves some top 20 love. I do think that the, the good people of Twitter are going to be ranking DeAndre Swift over Mike Davis throughout throughout the season. I think that's just too big of an ask uh, for the good people out there. But uh, I'm okay with you and I doing it. I just don't expect those ADPs to actually flip. Don't underrate my internet friends. Do not underestimate them, Hayden. At the top of this tier, though, we do need to talk about Chris Carson. We do a bunch of shows for a week right here on YouTube, 1230 Eastern. It feels like we always gloss over Chris Carson. He's an outstanding talent. The Seahawks brought him back. Carlos Hyde is no longer on the Seahawks. Uh, Chris Carson is great on contact when he stays, stays healthy. Pete Carroll loves him. Some Chris Carson. There's a reason why we have him at the top of this tier. He was the RB12 in half PPR points per game last season on RB21 usage. Not too much has changed for his outlook. Rashad Penny's that's kind of a back but he's just uh basically uh insurance option only right now and the, the Seahawks offensive line might be a little bit better uh than it has been the last couple seasons so I think Chris Carson out of this tier has maybe the highest ceiling just because if the Seahawks offense is as good as it has been and he does have that three down workload he's gonna be an RB1 um there's a little bit of injury risk there's maybe a, a half of it a risk on Shad Penny coming back, but for the most part, I'm okay with Chris Carson being at the top of this tier. We haven't talked at all about Josh Jacobs either, and he's solidly being drafted as the running back 21. You and I both rank him as the running back 21. We are here with consensus at this point. Josh Jacobs, we know that it seemed like the, the Raiders prioritized Kenyon Drake in the offseason, but I remember hearing and listening to what Mike Mayock said after they shockingly drafted Alex Leatherwood very high. And he said, we want to be a power running team with Josh Jacobs. If that's the case, if they get Josh Jacobs 15 to 18 touches per game, 
he could smash in that running back 21 ADP, Hayden. He was the RB11 in half PPR last last year on RB4 half PPR fantasy usage. So he's being drafted way, way, way later. This ADB completely uh, bakes in Kenyon Drake's uh, mm-hmm. signing. I think that they actually view Drake as like the third down back, maybe use him in the slot, maybe like this little like playmaker out of the backfield. But Josh Jacobs, like he wasn't involved in those type of touches anyways. So like you said, all of the power rushing that the Raiders definitely want to do all of their offseason actions uh, offensive uh, for like their draft picks. Um, they want to run the football still, even though they kind of flipped flopped to the entire offensive line. RB 11 in half PPR last year. I, th- I think that the, the problem, at least for me is I have this like PPR mindset just coming from like working at Roto world. I feel like I was viewing everything in this PPR lens, but at underdog it's half PPR. We have to adjust. And in half PPR, we don't care about receptions, not as much. And I think that Josh Jacobs might be kind of overlooked. I think it's so easy to say, I hate the Raiders. Josh Jacobs is always hurt. He's my RB 28. I think that there's a little more context we could put into play here. He has a little bit of a ceiling. Again, the only issue is he's being drafted around Julio Jones, DJ Moore, Robert Woods, and Chris Godwin. So it it just feels like I'll never exit a draft with Josh Jacobs because I can't get over drafting those wide receiver names. They are too tempting. All right. That is the end of Tier 3 along with Kareem Hunt there. Let's now go to Tier 4. Tier 4 is a fascinating group, Hayden. A ton of rookies in Javante Williams – being drafted as running back 27. Travis Etienne being drafted at running back 22. Trey Sermon being drafted as running back 28. Our rankings are are different than those. We have Williams, the highest, Etienne in the middle, and then Trey Sermon at the end. Which of those rookies do you like the most? I keep going back and forth with Javante and Travis Etienne. I think that both of them are going to be in committees. I think all three of these rookie running backs are going to be in committees, probably until the buy. Then you might get a little post buy rookie bump uh, at the end of it. I don't know. I don't think that Melvin Gordon is going anywhere. If you look at his contract, the, the Broncos would have to trade him. And that, that means another team would have to be trading for his contract. And how many teams out there want to be trading for $8 million uh, of Melvin Gordon? So I think that Melvin Gordon is going to be on the team. He might be the third down back. And then Javante Williams runs up the middle. And I think the opposite could be said about Travis Etienne. We've all heard the quotes from Urban Meyer, um, and they brought in Carlos Hyde too. And then obviously with Trey Sermon, I think that he has just as much upside as as these other guys. But we know that Shanahan has committed to a committee backfield. So I don't know. It's not like last year where it's like very clear cut, like, oh, Jonathan Taylor or Cam Akers might, might absolutely smash and they can like fully take over. I think all these guys just might be more committee backs uh, than we've seen the last couple seasons when you have like Saquon coming out. It's like, okay, it's lights out time. I think that Najee Harris is the only one uh, out of this class. I'm not as nervous as you. I'm going to have Javante Williams over Travis Etienne until some news or something changes in the preseason because he is the one that when his front office drafted him with very high draft capital in the second round trade up for him, said that he's a three down back. And I understand that Melvin Gordon, he's not going anywhere, almost certainly. Um, Javante didn't show a whole bunch of past game work while at UNC because he was attached to Michael Carter. But he has what translates most from the college game to the NFL game, and that is yards after contact. I mean, he broke that metric, according to PFF, in terms of his college production. And while... He's one of those players right now, Hayden, that I feel like is somewhat in a similar situation to what we reviewed Jonathan Taylor entering last year. I'm not going to say the Colts offensive line 
is as good as the or excuse me, the Broncos offensive line is as good as the Colts was last season. But it's like that, uh, there's this, you know, veteran that is still on the roster, but didn't have the same draft capital and not as much investment. So if that player goes down and Melvin Gordon, or if Javante Williams just looks better, I, there's a chance he absolutely crushes this running back 27 ADP. And I might even have him too low at running back 26. And in fact, you're even higher than I am at running back 24. Yeah, get your rankings in, in line with, with your mouth over there, Josh. We need to move him up a, a couple of spots. I am with you. I think that he's going to be an RB3 to start the season. And then later on the in the double-digit weeks of, of the season, he'll probably be, be ranked as an RB2, probably because he's taken a little more of the third-down workload. He's also a valedictorian. Like We're talking about like a really high-level human being, not just football-like. He's smarter than you. He's probably better looking than you. He also can break your legs uh, running right over you. He can also make you miss. Uh, with some shiftiness. So uh, if you're trying to doubt him as a receiver, you're probably doubting the wrong type of person. He seems like a a special, special human. And on Travis Etienne, again, he's going as running back 22. That's still ahead of Mike Davis. Fix that public. Uh, I'm higher on James Robinson than the public. I don't think James Robinson is going anywhere. I understand that he wasn't an Urban Meyer and Trent Baalke guy, but with this versatile, quote-unquote, usage that they're – putting Travis Etienne in right now, and despite mis- mentioning Carlos Hyde so often, I believe that James Robinson is still in line for the most carries out of this backfield, an offense that we think is going to finish in the top 15 in the NFL this season. Am I crazy for saying that? A little bit. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't have a strong James Robinson take. I don't see the ceiling there. Even if he is the the grinder and the goal line back, uh, tre- tre- Trevor Lawrence is going to get in there for some goal line carries himself because he's so athletic. He would need an injury to Travis Etienne. I'm not ruling that out. We never know how these injuries come into to play. We've seen at least James Robinson have an RB1 finish. So I think we have him properly ranked around this, like, I mean, I guess, like the beginning of the RB3s. Yeah. Um, I don't have a strong take either way. The preseason game usage for Travis Etienne is going to tell us a lot, I believe. Uh, there are also some popular names in this group. Miles Gaskin, we mentioned before, he's being drafted as running back 24. We have him much later than that, running back 29 for me, running back 27 for you. Chase Edmonds is a player that I love. He's going as running back 26. You and I are both later than consensus on him. Any thoughts on either of those two players, Hayden? Yeah, let's go over Miles Gaskin. I have a full column up, and there's going to be a YouTube video just on Miles Gaskin alone. I think he's a very shifty runner. I think that he can handle like 10 carries uh, between the tackles, but nothing beyond that. I think he's too small. And if you see what the Dolphins have been doing this offseason, they didn't bring in any big names, but they were in the Javante Williams sweepstakes. The Broncos traded ahead of the Dolphins, and the Dolphins reportedly were going to draft Javante Williams. They bring in Malcolm Brown, 222 pounds. They draft a running back that's 228 pounds. That signals to me, especially when you throw in this Brian Flores quote, that they don't want Miles Gaskin banging between the tackles. So I I do think that last year he had this three-down profile. To me on tape, to me, if you're looking at his size profile, plus the Dolphins have been bringing in, I don't think that he's going to be the goal line back. I don't think that he's going to have these 15 carries that he was seeing last year. And the big other thing that I learned uh, researching Miles Gaskin he was fourth in screens among running backs last year. He missed a couple of games in there too. I don't see him repeating fourth in screens just because yeah. the Dolphins added uh, a first-round receiver, Will Fuller, 
Uh, I don't see, think that the Dolphins need to just be checking the ball down to Miles Gaskin. They actually have playmakers now. So I think that you're seeing this, this receiving workload, especially in screens, probably going to drop. I'm worried about the goal line opportunities. And the Dolphins, they're the team, unlike the Falcons, they have more money, cap space. If somebody does become available, I think the Dolphins would be a, a little more likely than the Falcons to sign somebody. So I'm okay with being a little lower on Miles Gaskin. He was a superstar last year. I just don't see that same formula playing out in 2021. Yeah, and Brian Flores said some positive things about Malcolm Brown as well. Here's my pitch, again, the second one of the show to the public. Instead of taking Miles Gaskin as 53 overall ADP, take Lamar Jackson or, or Kyle Pitts. And instead of Chase, taking Chase Edmonds at you know 65 overall ADP, I don't know, take Odell Beckham at 64 overall. Wait a few rounds and instead – take Damian Harris at 85 overall because Damian Harris has the best chance. I think of this entire group, this entire tier four of being a 20 touch running back for as long as he stays healthy. We had Phil Perry on this very show. He says that Damian Harris is going to get that look at first. We know that this Patriots offense might mirror if there's one across the league, the most the Cleveland Browns just in terms of their usage, in terms of what they want to do with play-action passing, in terms of running the football. We know their offensive line is great. We know their tight ends are great. Damian Harris, an ADP of running back 31. Again, you can get him all the way down at 85 overall. I am exiting every single draft, I feel like, with Damian Harris, especially if I go an early running back, need that second one, or even if he's the running back three on my team after I load up on a bunch of wide receivers in rounds three, four, five, so on and so forth. If you don't think that Cam Newton is going to be starting games, then you need to be moving Damian Harris up because Cam Newton has been the goal line back for the Patriots. But if that's not going to be the case, and if Mac Jones is going to win the starting job outright, and his his OTA reports seem very uh, optimistic, and then Cam Newton's battling a little bit of a, a hand injury, so that's not helping Cam's chances either. So if you are thinking that Mac Jones is going to be starting a bulk of these games, I think you have to be a little bit higher than consensus on Damian Harris because yep. that opens up all of those goal line touches. And I think that Damian Harris, he's not some like electric back. He's not going to have that many huge plays, but he does have a three down profile um, at Alabama. He, there are some stretches where he was the three down back. So I do think it's, there's an option for him to, like you said, reach 20 touches per game. And I think that he's probably one of the last like quote unquote bell cow backs that could be available. Um, I don't really, I'm not really viewing this as much of a committee back. Like James, James, why they barely brought back after yep. uh, waiting a little bit in free agency. So I, I'm definitely with you. I'm okay. Being much higher than consensus on Damian Harris. Yeah. And how much higher are we? I mean, he's going as running back 31. I have him as running back 23. You have him as running back 26. And again, just some players going around that area. I mentioned wide receivers earlier that I'd rather take than those running backs. I'm totally cool with taking Damian Harris over the likes of Juju Smith-Schuster, over the likes of Jerry Judy, um, over Dallas Goddard. You know, like Damian Harris in that area just feels so much better to me than taking the running back over those other wide receivers that I mentioned earlier. To close out this tier, we do have two 49ers backs. We skipped over and glossed over Trey Sermon when we were talking about rookies. And we have Raheem Mostert as well as our running back 31. Is it pointless to draft both 49ers running backs on your team? You basically have to choose at this point since they are basically back-to-back at running back 28 for Sermon and running back 30 for Mostert. 
you're limiting your upside if you draft both of them together. I highly recommend not doing that. I think you have to commit to either one of them. I think ultimately Raheem Mostert might be start the season as like the home run threat. Like when Kyle Shanahan's looking for like a 15 yard run, he might throw Raheem Mostert in there. But I think when you're talking about short yardage goal line opportunities, Trey Sermon's just so much bigger. And I think that went by trading up for Trey Sermon, that's to me is signaling that they're ready to get this guy, the rock a ton. I mean, look back at like that Alfred Morris season. I mean, that was a special, special season. And we know Raheem Mostert as a smaller back, He's had a lot of injuries. He's also not that young anymore. I think that there's definitely a clear path to Trey Sermon really taking off here. He, to me, was a perfect outside zone rusher, perfect scheme fit. I don't think that I could rule out that him catching a couple passes per game either. I think that Trey Sermon, uh, I'm really high on him as a, a prospect, and I think the scheme fits perfect. And I'm, I love Raheem Mostert. He's a special player when he's healthy, but I'm not that scared of him just because everything else the 49ers have done, including not signing him to a long extension, um, shows to me that Trey Sermon, they want to be the number one if he can earn it. All right, that concludes our Tier 4 running backs. Now let's go down to Tier 5. do want to mention once again that these rankings are available on underdog.underdogfantasy.com. Hayden and I are constantly updating these. They are free. I need to mention that more often. They are free for all of you to go win money from our parent company on underdog take their money steal it go home make it rain all right let's now go over to tier five it's headlined for us by tony pollard who's being drafted as the running back 36 i mean what a weird and disorganized group that this is gus edwards michael carter melvin gordon Leonard Fournette, I won't go through all of them. Again, you can check them out on the site or live in the video that we have going right now. I do want to open this conversation with a player that we are drastically different on. Consensus, the public, has Michael Carter as running back 32. I have him as running back 32. You have him as running back 40. Why are you so much lower than I am? I've kind of soured on it just because I don't see him – how many spiked weeks is Michael Carter going to have in best ball? I think that he's going to have some sort of floor, maybe in your redraft league. If you're in like a 14 team league, he might be a flex option, but I just don't see him having a three down profile. He didn't have that in college with Javante Williams. He's five, eight, 201 pounds. He was only a 52nd percentile prospect in my model after factoring in draft capital. So I know the depth chart is really, really sad for the jets at running back. I think that Michael Carter, his vision, and he's pretty explosive. I think he can run between the tackles, but only on occasion. I think that he's too small to have a 20-touch-per-game outlook. If he has eight carries, four targets in this Jets offense, which we're expecting to be better but still be below below average, I just don't see the full ceiling, and I'm okay passing up on a floor-type player, uh, and I'll just take my chances with some of these high-ceiling handcuff guys. Yeah, tier five, I have him at the top of this group. Uh, and I think as long as all these players stay healthy, which is not going to happen, but that's what how we can enter this season with that mindset, he has the highest ceiling of it because there is a chance that he takes that highest carry percentage and market share of the Jets' backfield. I mean, you mentioned how it's a bad group. It's LaMichael P. Ryan, Tevin Coleman, and Ty Johnson. There might not be a worse backfield in the NFL. And while, yes, he was, you know, a top of the fourth round pick, that's not the same as a Javante Williams second round pick. It's not the same as, you know, trading two picks to go up and get Trey Sermon. Uh, He was still the running back five 
in this year's draft has very good receiving game usage. I think we're just getting a discount here in comparison to the other backs. And I, I do kind of love, and this can come back to bite me. I'm really curious about the uncertainty and unknown element of this Jets offense. Like to me, it can only be better than what it was last year. The left side of their offensive line could be absolute mammoths. They have potentially a competent passing game with a quarterback and three wide receiver combo, and then a running back back there who can create explosive plays. And when I went back and watched it, and yes, this is some eye test stuff, Michael Carter showed more between the tackles despite his, you know, 195 pound size than I expected. Again, if I'm aiming for a ceiling shot here and I missed out on Damian Harris, then taking Michael Carter as my running back three, if I'm going with like a, a, a four person group on underdog, makes a lot of sense to me. I think our big difference is I'm kind of moving away from looking at like a median projection. Like in my projections, I probably have Michael Carter projected for more points than Daryl Henderson, than a looking down the list, than an AJ Dillon or a Latavius Murray. But I think that it, when we're looking for like better in best ball, we're looking for spiked weeks only. I just don't envision Michael Carter having too many massive games in this probably hmm. committee workload. I think that if you're purely looking at ceiling, Darrell Henderson has a higher ceiling. If Cam Akers gets hurt, Darrell Henderson as the alpha back in a Rams offense, I think has a higher ceiling than whatever the Jets could possibly do this season. So I think this this entire tier, it's kind of a philosophy. And I think in best ball, I want to be looking for these spiked weeks rather than these kind of like RB3 floor plays. And I think that I'm with you. I think Michael Carter's probably a better real life player than fantasy player, at least in best ball. My goal for the next two months is to get you to move Michael Carter up into the top 35 running backs. I mean, he forced 47 missed tackles last season. was fifth in college football. Had 29 carries of 15-plus yards. That was first in college football. And that's while splitting game time with Javante Williams. Again, I I think the uncertainty is baked into all these Jets players. And I'm not saying all of them hit. And again, how dangerous of a life can I live when I'm talking about Michael <laughs> Carter and Elijah Moore and even Denzel Mims and taking Zach Wilson as a late, late, late stack, potentially with some other pass catchers? I'm doing it right now. It can absolutely come back to bite me. But in this tier that we are calling, you know, running back insurance or handcuffs versus split backfields, again, I'm ranking Michael Carter uh, at the top of this group. I know you mentioned Daryl Henderson. Is there anyone else in this conversation that you want to talk about? I mean, ending your draft. At the running back spot, again, when we take four, which is the construction that you and I like a lot, and you know Michael Leone and Justin Herzig and a bunch of other great people to establish the run have talked about as you know a very, very good roster construction. Ending your draft at running back four with Daryl Henderson or Alexander Madison, to me, is the right approach. My favorite approach is getting two studs, the first and second round pick, maybe a first and third round pick at running back. Then take your chance on like, Uh, one of like a Trey Sermon or in your case, a Michael Carter. And then your fourth running back could be these complete insurance types only in Alexander Madison. That way you have maybe some sense of a floor with your third running back. If your top two guys have a bye week or get injured for a little bit, but you still have a huge ceiling play in an Alexander Madison and a Darrell Henderson. So that's my favorite roster construction. Um, I really want to have my fourth running back be in this tier. Because yeah. the next couple of tiers, it's I think there's a, a pretty noticeable drop off. If I'm getting four running backs, I would love to have the fourth one be from this tier and not from the ones after it. 
Well, perfect timing, Hayden Winks. We are coming up on an hour of recording. And like you said, it is a Grand Canyon style cliff when it comes to the running back position. Uh, tier six, let's bring it up. Tier six includes a bunch of names with a bunch of questions, but some are in the news, you know. David Johnson has a chance of leading that backfield in touches. He's going as a running back 42. We talked about Jamal Williams when, speaking of DeAndre Swift, he's going as the running back 46. Naeem Hines we've discussed. Rashad Penny. Chuba Hubbard was drafted to be, you know, in the Mike Davis role as the backup, clearly, to Christian McCaffrey. Let's bring up one name each from this group or even ones beyond it. Who do you want to talk about? I don't feel too great about this. It would be Darrington Evans and Chuba Hubbard, but I've already talked about them enough. I'll throw out Malcolm Brown, just like if we're being anti Miles Gaston, kind of have to be a little higher on somebody else from that backfield. And I think that they love his pass protection. And I think that there's a chance he's the goal line back. So if Miles Gaskin gets hurt or he just proves to be ineffective, maybe you get a couple weeks from Malcolm Brown. Maybe he finds the end zone and catches a couple of passes. But overall, like I'm not like looking forward to like talking about Philip Lindsay and uh, James White. So uh, yeah, I'm curious who you pick, but like after that, it gets really bad. Well, I'm going with Giovanni Bernard. Uh, I have him as a running back 53. I can now say I have two running backs listed as running back 53. So I'm kind of cheating here. Uh, but we know that Leonard Fournette is just an accumulator. He's not anything more than adequate at football. Um, the same can be said for Ronald Jones, especially in the passing game, I might add. And both of those players had about 30 to 45 targets last season. Uh, Giovanni Bernard in his past, when he's played an entire year, has never had fewer than 43 targets in a season, I believe, right around that 40 target mark. Uh, there is a reason why, I am sure, one, there was extreme frustration the first half of last season when Tom Brady goes out there in critical passing downs because we've seen his past with James White and a bunch of these other pass-catching backs. And in those pivotal you know, third and short situations, third and intermediate situations, he has no one he feels comfortable throwing to in the passing game. So what do they do? They go out and get Giov Giovanni Bernard this offseason to fulfill that role. Look, I'm not going to say that he's going to lead that backfield in touches, although I think that an argument can be made at some point that he might be the most talented back. But at least he's going to have that role. I would be shocked if he doesn't because Tom is going to dictate in those pivotal third or second and long situations who is going to be on the field. And it's pretty clear. Playoff Lenny, sure. He had his run. He's an accumulator based on opportunity. Ronald Jones has his role, but no one has the skill set that Giovanni Bernard has. He's going as running back 60. And again, I'm well ahead at running back 53. He seems like he's going to be loved by Tom Brady. And I would be pretty surprised if he's not the third down back uh, this season. Obviously, he wanted to go play for a contender. And the, the, the fit in, into the role makes perfect sense. Once again, this kind of goes back to the same argument with the Michael Carter is like, how many games is uh, Giovanni Bernard are we going to see like ceiling games unless he's all of a sudden the goal line back? But even like a half PPR format, it's just hard for like a, a third down back only to have enough spike weeks where he's a top 24 back and half PPR. So I don't know. We we, have a little we've, bit we've seen a lot of playable seasons of James White in his past. And I'm not saying that Giovanni Bernard now at this age is prime James White. But guess what, Hayden? We don't have to pick when he's starting. You know, that was always a little bit of a frustration of James White and these other Patriots backs of when we look at the end of the season, Patriots running backs like accumulated 
like grouped together would be among top 10 in the NFL in terms of scoring backfields. Well, if you just have Geo and he catches, I don't know, four passes for 37 yards and a touchdown near the red zone in the near goal line situations, that's great. And that running back 60, again, if I miss out on that group that we talked about of your Daryl Henderson's, of your Alexander Madison's, me taking Geo as running back four, I love that exiting drafts. Yeah, it's, it's totally reasonable. He at least is going to have playing time. At least the offense is good. So um, when we're talking about dis- distinguishing between RB 55 and 60, I can only get uh, two different from you. So uh, yeah. it, it's totally reasonable. At least he's good at the game. Some of these other guys that we're talking about, like I, I'm not, I don't even think they're actually good at, at football. Uh, so at least Geo can play a little bit. And the, the offensive line, everything around him is perfect. So I'm not taking him at all, but – J.D. McKissick, who's going as running back 49, we have him at running back 52. Part of me wonders if Scott Turner is going to use him and Adam Humphreys in like this hybrid slot receiving role with Curtis Samuel and Terry McLaurin as outside receivers because we know J.P. Finley told us that Curtis almost certainly will play outside there in Washington. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not going to get to the point last year, and it's easy when you're on the underdog app to look at like points scored last season and J.D. McKissick's are, were so much higher, right? Um, it's not going to be that case because Alex Smith is no longer there. He's not going to get all these easy receptions all the time. But I also don't know if you can just like completely eliminate him from the offense. Again, I'm not, I'm not drafting him, but this is, this is just where like, it's the half PPR comes back into play last year in half PPR. He was the RB 32. So like, we know that that it's good. It's only going downhill from him. So it's just one of those, like, I don't know how many spiked weeks he's going to have unless they re-sign Alex Smith, which not happening. Let's play this game and we can throw in Alexander Madison since he was at the top of this tier or at the bottom of the last tier. All right. So the bottom of tier six, who of these backs, if the lead back goes down from AJ Dillon to Latavius Murray to Alexander Madison, if you can go the next one to, I don't know. We talked about Jamal Williams. We talked about Chuba Hubbard, which of these backs has the highest ceiling. If the lead back goes down. Well, I think the easiest way to do this is just look at your top 12 running back rankings and find the exact backup. And some of those, they don't have a clear backup. Um, like, for example, like we think, Chuba Hubbard, we think that Chuba Hubbard would be the number one if in the event of a CMC injury. Darrington Evans would be the number. We think that. Um, I think that the, dif- the difference between those two is like we're not super confident that they would be the lead back. And then in the tier above, if Dalvin Cook gets hurt, we know it's Alexander Madison because Kenny Nwongu, who we love, is more of a special teamer, a one-cut runner, a speed guy, but he has zero experience basically at running back. So I would be confident in like an Alexander Madison. I think Jarrell Henderson has an awesome case uh, just because the depth behind him is absolutely non-existent. So I, I like those backs more. I would sprinkle in Chuba Hubbard and Darrington Evans, um, but I would prefer those type of backs rather than the guys. Well, they need an injury, and even if they do have an injury, they're still a committee back. Like Too many things have to fall into place, um, and I don't even want to deal with any of those types. Dare I say the summer of underdogs started when we ranked Kene Wangwu as our running back six, and then he went as the running back six in the NFL draft when love Mike Renner, but PFF had not even graded Kene Wangwu because he was the backup at Iowa State. I mean, what a moment for us, Aiden. Yeah, shout out us. He's going to be, if you're in a special <laughs> teams league, Kene Wangwu might be the one to one. Shout out to. Pick them on underdog during preseason action, hopefully, and we get to play some Kene and Wongu shares. That would be a lot of fun. Did we miss anything? I mean, that was over 50 running backs that we talked about today. Um, we'll be back here on Wednesday, live on YouTube, 1230 Eastern. In fact, we stream every day, Monday through Thursday on YouTube at 1230. Have lunch with us. Join us.
Um, we'll be next show on wide receivers. Wide receivers is next up. We wanted to start with running backs because they really are like the foundation, the building block of how you construct your roster in the first couple rounds. And then after that, we're going to really dissect and dive into how we split and split hairs for that wide receiver group on Wednesday show. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed, like us, review us, five-star ratings, subscribe, tell one friend. We'll be updating these throughout the summer as well on Underblock. So for Hayden Winks, I am Josh Norris. Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.